Hello. I brought up Samuel. In fact, I'm going to delegate to him. He's going to preach the message tonight. Samuel has a special gift for somebody in here. Ever since he was a little boy, he has had a special gift. Started with mommy's pocket and then daddy's pocket. Samuel knows how to steal phones. <laughs> so if this is somebody you know, <laughs> my son took your phone <laughs> and you may come and receive that. So I could do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Hey! Alright. You wave. <laughs> so Samuel just wanted to say hi. He's about to go home with mommy and do bedtime. So let's see. Oh, there he goes. It's my wife Emily and our future son, Isaac, in her belly. That's right. He could be a Christmas baby. And then we'll we'll have to like give his middle name. Jesus or something. I don't know. We'll get creative if that happens. My grandfather's birthday was on Christmas, so uh, that would be fun. Well, after my son uh, stealing phones, we should probably pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. We thank you for this community. Uh, we thank you for this special season, the season where we get to anticipate uh, Christ, you're coming as a baby, but then also anticipate Christ, you're coming again to draw all things into rights again. Lord, we are here for you tonight. It's our joy to be here, to celebrate you, to worship you, to worship with one another. And God, we say, have your way. I pray over this message, God, that uh, you would draw it out in the way that it's supposed to go, and God, that you would lead us and send us forward uh, with great passion and desire. God, that as we would walk through this Christmas season, we would not do so in a posture of what can we get, uh, but in a posture of receiving what you have already given us, and then being a gift ourselves that you give out to the rest of the world with proclamations of your good news. So Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We love you. And we are here with you tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, I've been tasked with uh, one of my favorite tasks, uh, to think intently on the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, tonight, as we... Uh, does anybody in here, do, you, do any of you guys uh, participate or practice in some way Advent? Anybody? Okay, yeah, a few, nice. Uh, if you don't, it's not just a, a Catholic thing, it's, it's actually just something from the, the rich tradition of the church. Advent is a, a Latin phrase, advente or venti, which means to come. Uh, as we Advent, we ready ourselves for Christ to come. In fact, Christmas, when we talk about Christmas, uh, was originally called the Feast of the Incarnation. And as we celebrate Christmas, we are not just celebrating Christ's birth, though that is a portion of it. We are celebrating the fact that Christ was incarnate, that the Word of God stooped low 
and became flesh among us, for us, with us, and on our behalf. It's incredible. It's one of the greatest feasts that we could ever participate in, is Christ coming down and, and looking at not just a baby, but at Christ, the Word of God, God Himself stooping to our level on our behalf. That's what I get to talk about tonight. It's also a great challenge because for the last four years specifically, uh, I haven't been able to get away from the Trinity and the Incarnation. Uh, these are the, the two giant movements of the early church. If you look at the first 700 years of the church, they were constantly trying to work these things out because it's that foundational for our faith. So for the last four years, I've been diving in, and then, then I, I have to sit down and go, how do I distill it into 30 minutes? And if we're honest, 45 minutes if I look at all the timestamps on the uh, podcast episodes that I do. Anyway, I normally teach for like two hours in class for the students, so uh, I feel like 45 minutes, John's excited about that, I feel like 45 <laughs> minutes is doing pretty well when you, when you take two hours. Anybody in here enjoy poetry? Awesome. If you don't, uh, you might catch on to something that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to spark our imaginations more as I go through and teach. So last time, about a month ago, I taught using an image. I'm also going to bring an image up today, but I have two poems. Uh, one is a full poem, one is a partial poem that I want to present to us, that again, I hope will impregnate our imagination that as we go into the season, there might be something that catches you and you can't get away from. So the poet here is Lucy Shaw, and it reads, Down he came from up, and in from out, and here from there. A long leap in incandescent fall from magnificent to naked, frail, small. Through space, between stars, into our chill night air, shrunk in infant grace to our damp, cramped, earthly place, among all the shivering sheep. And now, after all, there he lies, fast asleep. Down he came from up, in from out, here from there. God moved. In fact, love moved on our behalf. Love stooped on our behalf. And it's beautiful. And this is what we get to participate in in the season of Christmas. This is what we get to behold and feast our eyes upon in the Christmas season. But if we're Honest with ourselves, so often our gaze shifts in the Christmas season to things of consumerism uh, or Christmas movies, which I love. And every year, uh, Thanksgiving hits and then Black Friday, Emily and I put up our tree, our Christmas decorations, and we watch Home Alone 1. It's our, our tradition. We've done it every year we've been married. Uh, and we live in a household. Do any of you guys live in a household to where you guys don't mind if other people are just constantly quoting the movie? Emily and I have like our favorite movies, so we just quote it all the way through. But then when we watch them with others, like I watch The Grinch with others, and, and my brother gets so upset at me. He's like, can we just watch the movie? I was like, I am, but I'm living the movie, you know? I just love it. So there's nothing wrong with that. But lest our eyes turn away from the reason for the season. 
we can get lost. In 2008, the uh, Church of England commissioned uh, an artist, Andrew Gadd, to do an uh, modern-day rendition of the manger scene. The movement here is so often we, we kind of doll up our mangers. In fact, we, we have a nativity scene on our mantle, and it's glittery, and baby Jesus is sitting there, like, smiling, and it's, it's awesome. We love it. Again, we put it up on Black Friday, and we watch the movie, right? But what this does is it starts to draw us outside of the glitz and glamour that we've made it and starts to place it back into a position where we might start to feel what was happening on the night that Christ was born. Have any of you guys ever been to a big city, Chicago or London or New York or any of those kind of big cities, and, and you walk into the bus station or stop or uh, overhang, how many of you guys would say it's a really comfortable place to be? How many of you guys would eat off of that, you know, that bench there? No, you wouldn't. You start to feel your skin crawl as you're sitting there waiting for your bus, and you're like, maybe I'll stand out here, but it's cold, so I'll go back in here. And this is what uh, Christ experienced. This is what Mary and Joseph experienced as they were going around looking for a place to birth the Savior of the world. This is what God had decided would be uh, his grand entrance, is a manger, but we can consider it in terms of modern-day disgustingness, right? Mangers aren't a place for a baby to be born. Emily and I are, right, we said, Isaac, he's coming at any moment. And we were just at Zeeland Hospital this last week. We chose Zeeland Hospital because they have an amazing facility, a great team, and it's clean. And we walked through, and if there was anything on the floor, you better believe they would clean it up. That's the proper place for a baby to be born. And yet Christ was born amongst feces. And trash, and dirt, and muck. Not a safe place for a baby to be born, and yet God stooped. Love stooped. And he did so in order to proclaim, even in his birth, the movement of his ministry, that love will always stoop. If you notice, there's, there's kind of two movements here. Is my clicker not working? There we go. You have two groups of people in this uh, image. You have those on the left who are, who are like the, the shepherds and the wise men who come to pay their adoration to the one who is king. And then you have those on the right who are missing the miracle that's happening right in their midst. One is hailing down a taxi to get to the next thing. The next is looking at the board trying to figure out probably where the next purchase is with uh, the bags on the ground. And again, I invite us into 
the reason for the season. In fact, that was the whole movement of this. This is the largest ad campaign that the uh, Church of England ever did. Uh, it went on a thousand um, bus stops throughout all of England to, to draw people back into Christmas, to draw them not so much outside of their world, but to allow what happened then to happen now, that the word of God would break into our world and would proclaim his kingdom, and we would behold his kingdom, and we'd be transformed by it. The second poem, and this will set us up. If you have your Bibles, you can start flipping to John 1. This is actually from a, a hymn by a guy named Richard Crashaw in the Holy Nativity of Our Lord. Welcome, all wonders in one sight. Eternity shut up in span, summer in winter, day in night, heaven in earth and God in man. Great little one, whose all-embracing birth lifts earth to heaven and stoops heaven to earth. On Christmas morning, we have a tradition to where I'll read through Luke 1 into the, the Luke narrative of the birth of Christ. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And it's very earthly. The thing I love about John is John 1 does the exact same thing, except he does it in a completely different way. In the Luke narrative, same thing with the Matthew narrative, we see uh, what our eyes behold we can picture the manger, we can picture the shepherds, we can picture all these things, but then John starts to, to reach down and just pulls back the veil and says, now let me give you the cosmic picture of what's happening. It's the exact same story that we see in the nativity, except we get to see behind the scenes into the supernatural, into the heavenlies, into the cosmic reality, and it is beautiful. John 1, 1 through 5. Many of you will be familiar with this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word here, we'll see, actually, when we get to verse 14 especially, that the Word here is talking about Jesus. What does it mean for uh, Christ to be considered the Word that existed before time. The word that existed with God, the word that was God, it's a mystery. Again, John's going, hey, cosmic. Let's think much larger so that you don't miss what happens in the manger. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Notice here too, when he says in the beginning, does anybody know what that sounds like? What's John mimicking here? Genesis. In the beginning was God. And God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke forth and it was done. God said, let there be light. And there was light. So let's continue on. We see that John's doing this. Through him, all things were made. Again, sounds like Genesis. Without him, nothing was made that had been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. 
God spoke light, and it was done. Christ, the Word, comes, and He is the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John is the, it's the kind of oddball gospel, right? You have the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you have the, the John gospel that's so different than the others. In fact, he kind of reorders the narrative in order to be able to, like I said, lift that veil and give us a glimpse behind the scenes as to what's actually going on. We see the love of God on display constantly through John. In fact, John's gospel is the one where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John is always trying to elevate and lift our eyes to go, the one you're looking at here is the one there. And he has come down to be with us. John's saying, whispering the whole way through, don't miss it. Don't miss it. It might look very normal in the others, but realize there is far more happening than what the eye lets on. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So, where's my... There we go. We're going to skip forward to John 14, then we're going to go back towards the end of the message. This is where we're going to park tonight. Is this going good? Yeah. Awesome. John was a theologian of theologians. Uh, his, his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, are so deep. It's our memory verse this week, or this month. Uh, the book of Revelation such a profound mystery to live into. Uh, John is, is constantly thinking at a high level. You might call him a mystic, you might call him a theologian, whatever you want to call him. It, it's just, he's inviting us in. In fact, he starts off his first letter of John. He says, we wrote these things so that way you could experience them too. Our joy would be made complete. He's inviting us constantly into this. In the first chapter of John does so much theological work. And I'm I'm hoping to uh, invite us into this scripture here. This is where we're going to park for most of the night. We're going to double-click it here in a moment and kind of expand out and look at some of the Greek context uh, and see what John is actually building out a picture here on. And, and consider this, right? Again, picture that, that nativity scene. Picture Jesus just being born, still probably a bloody mess. And yet John's saying, there's something going on here. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. It's simple. In fact, you, you've probably read this many times. John is a, a very uh, large favorite of many. Uh, but there's so many uh, deep words in this that if we just, we open up the Greek. So the word, oh, this clicker, batteries. All right. The word, logos or logos, however you want to say it. The word made flesh. Logos, the Greek word there, 
Uh, it means the, the full expression of God's command. It means the, the actual like, cognitive wisdom of God. It, this is, again, these things are mysteries. So we can, we can kind of hold them before us and we can observe them. And, and what Scripture has given us, we won't be able to fully comprehend this. These are the types of things that keep Nick up at night, like, what is Logos? What is Word? <laughs> How is he a person? I don't know. Uh, in the same way that we have a triune God, but he's one essence, right? These, these are profound things, but when we look at them and they break our brain, they draw us in. So the, the Logos that existed before anything was created, in fact, was the very thing that created all things. Nothing was created apart from the Logos. The reason, the wisdom, the mind of God became flesh. The Greek word here is sarx. Uh, this is literally like, an, if you look up the definition, it means like animalistic flesh. He became flesh. You can't get around it. He's flesh. And, and the word became there, I don't have it in the Greek here, but the word became literally means, guess what? Became. It, like, that's huge, because there, there is a heresy called docetism that says, well, it only seemed like he became. And sometimes we do play that game. We look at Jesus and we go, like, I know he's human, but, right, he's really God. Well, we, we commit the heresy of docetism all over again. No, the word, eternal, became flesh, sarks. He took on human nature for the rest of eternity. God, who was not man, stooped in love to such a degree that he is now, at least the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is a man for the rest of eternity. How many of you go, that breaks my brain? <laughs> like, that doesn't even seem right. That's a little scandalous. Does anybody say, that's a little scandalous? Paul says, this is a gospel of scandal. <laughs> Foolishness to the Greeks, offensive to the Jews. They're going, wait a second, you're telling us that our God came down, that nobody anticipated this. Pastor Tom Smith on staff here, he always goes, you can't make this stuff up. You also couldn't, <laughs> you also couldn't anticipate this. Like Anybody reading the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, was not necessarily expecting that God came down. And we knew a Messiah was coming, but that God, the Logos of God, became Sark's? Offensive, <laughs> but beautiful. In fact, in, in Christ becoming flesh, he also dignified flesh. The Scottish theologian Thomas Torrance says that Christ is the personalizing person and the humanizing human. Last year, when I did this message, I talked about how Christ is both fully God, fully man. We are going to get there here in a second. 
but that when we look at Christ, we, we one, see God, but then we, two, also see ourselves. So often, it's just having this conversation earlier today, so often we feel like we're supposed to be less human or, or maybe even we would, we would phrase it more than human. We're trying to get to really like the spiritual status. Let's put off all the humanly stuff so we get to the, the good stuff, the spiritual stuff. It's called Gnosticism. It's also another heresy of the early church. And what Christ did was he came down and not only only took our place, but then also dignified our very personhood and said, you are human, and that is exactly who you were supposed to be. And he said, I love that you're human so much that I will bind yourself to myself in my personhood by becoming human with you. For some of you that are losing sleep at night because you're just wrestling with your frailty, your brokenness, your imperfections, you have a high priest, you have the one who made you, has come down and has stepped into your very existence to be able to empathize with you and to sit with you in that place. When you are wrestling into those deep places, you're going, I don't even know if I want to live right now because I don't like being human. Christ is there whispering and he says, would you be human with me? We haven't even gotten past the first four <laughs> The word logos became flesh, sarks, and made his dwelling among us. The Greek word here is skinu. It's a fun word to say. It literally means he tabernacled among us. So not only did he become flesh, but he also tabernacled among us. And if you've read through the entire narrative of Scripture, you might go, wait a second, the tabernacle is actually a very important thing throughout Scripture. In fact, when we see the garden story and God creating the earth and then he makes a garden on top, that's actually the first, uh, essentially, tabernacle. If you look at it, it's a tripartite movement that, that reveals what will then become a movable tabernacle that will then become the permanent uh, temple that then isn't permanent, that gets reestablished here. The tabernacle is the place where heaven meets earth. The tabernacle is the place where God dwells with his people. We see that in Genesis 1 through 3. We see that in Exodus where Moses gets the plans for the tabernacle, builds a, a mobile tent, the tent of meeting where he would see God face to face. The Shekinah glory would come down. There'd be a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, like crazy stuff as they're going through. And this is God dwelling with his people. And then we see here, God, Logos, becomes flesh and then tabernacles among his people again. Christ is instituting a whole new means of God dwelling with his people. The Swiss theologian, Karl Barth, 
would say that in Jesus Christ, we see that God willed that he would not be God without us. In the man Jesus Christ, we see that God willed that he would not be God without us. He created us. We saw this last month as we were looking at the Trinity. He created us out of the overflowing abundance of his love. He created us to be the object and desire of his love, his self-giving love. That even when mankind fell, even when mankind set themselves up against God, We see love stoops. And that in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the truth that God would not let it stand in the way of him being with us. In Jesus Christ, God willed that he would not be God without us. In fact, <coughs> like I said a moment ago, and I, this is one, I'm, I'm getting more to these places to where there overflows. I, I'm not really looking at my notes too much. So whatever sticks, just run with that. <laughs> if you're like, okay, you lost me at Sarks <laughs> or Logos, it's okay. <laughs> uh, the word is still doing what the word does, even if we don't understand it. So praise the Lord for that. But like I said, that Jesus Christ is forever from the incarnation on, man. That right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, is the human and God person, Jesus Christ. Like when he ascended to the Father, it wasn't like, oh, he left his body behind and <laughs> now he's this floaty spirit with this. <laughs> no. He's the man, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of the Father. And it will be like that for eternity because in Jesus Christ is the marriage of God and man. When Jesus became flesh, became flesh, he married us to God. And now those who believe in him draw on those benefits. Those who believe in him, who put their trust in the faithful act of God and man coming together in the person of Jesus Christ, will be made sons of God, daughters of God. When we go, yes, it's been done on my behalf, we get swept up into that nature of God loving God and God loving man in that relationship. You might have to listen to this one a couple times. It's okay. He tabernacled among us. Again, if we look at Revelation, let's jump forward to the end of the Bible. Right? Again, I, I said that tabernacle language is running all the way through. And Christ here is actually transforming the tabernacle language. Christ is saying, I am the tabernacle. I'm the place where heaven meets earth. Where God meets man. And in Revelation 21.3, it says, John's saying here, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell, skinu, with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. 
He dwelled among us. We have seen, I need to, to read the pronunciation of this one. They are om ahe. They are om ahe is the, uh, the pronunciation here. They, we have seen his glory, doxa. The they are om ahe here is, is actually a term that the Greeks would use within theater productions. You would sit and write, the Greeks were really large on theater. They wrote a lot of dramas and in different plays and different movements like that. Um, well, to use this terminology means that you're sitting at the theater and you are not just watching, they have a different terminology for that, but you are enthralled. You are being sucked in to the narrative. And the interesting thing is when... when John melds these words together and starts using these specific words. What he's actually saying here is that as we are watching, how many of you guys like Marvel movies? You guys ever, like, there's the Easter egg, well, was before, and I think they CGI him into some, but there was, like, the Easter egg in the early Marvel where, like, Stan Lee would come in as a character, right? And you're always kind of watching for him, and you're like, oh, there he is. This is kind of like that. <laughs> kind of, because Stanley is not God. <laughs> so what John's saying here is we would watch the theater of reality, the cosmic theater on display, and all of a sudden we would go, oh. is that, wait a second, you, you can't make this stuff up. You, you can't anticipate that. Is that God? He's stepping onto the stage. Normally when the, the creator would step onto the stage, the play would be done, right? And he'd come up and he would take his bow and that's not what happens here. The creator gets onto the stage to play out in the very act of the play of reality. And you can imagine up until this point, like John's writing in the context where the play had gone wrong. <laughs> like the playwriters in the back. That's not what I wrote. <laughs> Mankind is, is veering it off. And now God himself says, it's all right. I can make good of all things for those who love me. So he steps onto the scene and he starts playing out as one of the actors. He becomes a participant in the grand scheme of things. And in participating, he starts to make things right again. So when we behold and we read the, the Christ narrative and he is birthed in as a, as a baby, we realize, wait, no, this is, this is actually the author and perfecter. And he's just broken into the story because the story was broken. He is the word of God that created all things out of nothing. And he is the word of God that's coming in to recreate all things out of chaos. The cosmic veil is being lifted. You thought it was just a pretty nativity scene on the, on the mantle. <laughs> We beheld his 
glory. The word here is doxa, his majesty, his splendor, his brightness, his magnificence, his excellence, his preeminence, his dignity, his grace, the glory of the one and only Son. This one is kind of an easy one. This is uh, very similar to our English language, the monogenes, the one genes. So John here is going, not only did he become flesh, but lest you get so focused on that, let's not miss that he is also one with God. Like Jesus Christ, I say this in class, Jesus Christ is not 50-50 like Arnold Palmer of person. It's not like, oh, like he's, he's half God, half man, like some sort of weird centurion or whatever they call it, centaur, right? <laughs> He's not Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer is delicious, but it's not Christ. He is 100 and 100. The the theological way of describing it is he is one person with two natures. One person, two natures. Just like in the Trinity, you have one nature and three persons. It's, It's interesting that way, but one person, two natures. And those two natures are existing co eternally. Now, forevermore, he has married those two natures together. The, the human nature, like who you are to your very core, has been married to who God is to his very core, love, in the person of Jesus Christ. That when we look at Christ, we see both God and we see man. And you go, well, which, which is it? Like, in what scene? You know, you go through the Gospels, you're like, oh, he's God there. And he, no, we just made him 50-50 again. That's Apollinarianism. It's another heresy from the early church. <laughs> is it, like, is theology fun or what? <laughs> I just... <laughs> It's fun because it breaks my brain. Like, I, I, I teach, but then I also go home and I cry because I don't understand it. <laughs> but it's so beautiful. <laughs> I've beheld his glory, his doxa. <laughs> and it makes me leak. All right. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you guys are having fun. I'm having fun. <laughs> who came from the Father, full of grace. And again, I pause here to to remind us, we talked about it a minute ago, John's gospel is the one where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So often we pit the two together. We think Christ is like the, the good cop and God's the bad cop, like the Father's the bad cop, waving his condemning finger. That's not the case. To see Christ is to see God the Father. Your Father in heaven loves you so much. He loves you that He and the Son sent the Son. He sent the Son for you. To bind you to Him and then to lay His life down on your behalf. Those are two movements. Christ isn't just the instrument of our atonement. He is also the purpose of our atonement. He's not just the instrument of our salvation. It's not like Jesus is an instrument in God's hand where he's like, well, okay, let's, you go out there, you're going to die, okay? And then I'll be able to love them. No, God loved us, so he sent the Son. 
In, in sending the Son, the Son binds us to the Father even before He dies. And it was yet while we were still sinners that Christ died on our behalf. All of the movement is a movement of love. It's not because God hates you, couldn't, couldn't stand you, so then he has to take it out on his son. That's false. God loves you, so he became you in order to marry you to himself. It's wild. But it's beautiful. In the Son, the Word, the eternal begotten of God is full of grace. The Greek word is charis, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, grace of speech, goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. All of it's in there. He is that for you. Greatest Christmas gift ever. It's like cheesy, but it's true. And truth. Alethea. I probably butchered that, but work with me here, okay? This is the truth respecting God and the execution of his purpose through Christ. You, you may have heard Pastor Dwayne say on a Sunday morning, I think it's a fantastic saying, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is also perfect anthropology. If you want to know what you look like, look at Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't trying to not be human. He came to become humans so that way he could dignify your humanity and go through it with you. He would experience it all the way down to death. And then he would transform it. So you might sit there and you go, I'm broken. Absolutely. And yet he transforms it. So if you spend that time with him in your brokenness, you'll watch as he is there with you and he is doing more on your behalf than you can ever believe, ask, think, imagine. He transforms you. All right. 43 minutes right on cue. <laughs> Did it switch? Oh, that's the wrong one. It's not the wrong one. I mean, that's a really good one. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Uh, that's what I went to last year. I didn't know if I was going to touch on that. But I encourage you through this Christmas season to, to meditate on Philippians 2, 6 through 11. As you wake up and you do your morning devotions. And if you don't do morning devotions, well, here you go. <laughs> this one's free. And you just meditate on it day by day by day. And think about it through the image of Christ in the manger. Or if you'd like, Christ in the, the bus stop in, in uh, Great Britain or wherever it was. Oh, those are the heresies of the early church. If you care to know. Apollinarianism, right? The, the Arnold Palmer. Arianism. God was created, but not actually God. Uh, docetism. 
fully God, but only seemed to be man, right? From the Greek, dokin. All right. So, this is where I'm, I'm going to wrap up and go, there's so much of the gospel in here. Christ did it on your behalf. He lived your life on your behalf. He didn't just do it because you couldn't. He did it because he wanted relationship with you. You also couldn't, <laughs> so he did it on your behalf. But if we just focus on that, then we, we start to heap shame upon ourselves when he says, no, I'm here to dignify and transform. The shame is if we deny and we turn away from, then we put shame on ourselves, and the only place we can live is shame. But in him, he is full of grace and truth, and he wants to deliver it. John 1, 9 through 13, we're jumping back a little bit in John. The true light, again, we're talking about Christ here, that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed, put their trust in his name and what he has done on their behalf, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. If you were in here, and maybe you're hearing this for the first time, maybe, uh, again, some of it may or may not have made sense to you. That's okay. But I think you get the crux of it. Jesus is glorious. And when we set our eyes on him, it transforms all of life. Nothing is left untouched. And if you haven't put your trust into him, in him, tonight is your night. This is the greatest gift you could ever receive. It's not something that you're doing for him. It's something that he has done for you. And you are reaching out and you are attaining. You are grabbing hold and saying, thank you, Jesus. And it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. So if that's you and you've never made that decision or you find yourself wavering, you find yourself walking away and you go, no, I am making the stand I can't do this life on my own. I've tried it, and it doesn't pan out. But I found out that there is one who has done it all on my behalf. If that's you tonight, I want you to just take a bold step of faith and just stand up. We want to celebrate with you. Amen. Come on. You guys can stay standing. I want us to, to pray over you guys, but is there anybody else? You might be thinking, I've heard this 
nativity story so many times. Good. Would you guys extend your hands? Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this glorious day. Jesus, we thank you that you have done it on our behalf. We thank you that you counted us worthy, even in our muck and grime, to stoop down, to pick us up, and to bring us up with you. So, Father, I pray over these two as they go into this Christmas season, God, that this would come alive to them. God, as they go into life, that they would do it with you. And you would show them how you are with them. You are Emmanuel, eternally God with us. And we thank you for it. Holy Spirit, come and strengthen them. To walk by your Spirit. To not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Help them to bear forth good fruit. As they go in with a new mindset. A repented mindset. God, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. And pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said... Amen, and welcome to the family. Come on. All right. Well, I returned the phone, preached the word. <laughs> I think I'm done. Let me, let me just pray as we, uh, as we close, close. God, uh, once again, I thank you for the two that responded tonight. But, Father, I also thank you for... Uh, just the body of saints in this room, God, the body of believers who are earnestly and eagerly pursuing you. Father, I thank you for the, the rich, uh, just hunger for your word that you have put in this generation, God. I thank you that your word is not a novelty in their life, but the firm foundation in which they build upon and walk in, by, and through. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to empower each and every one of us in here to be able to walk out your grace and your truth with you in this holiday season as we come across friends and family and loved ones and those we don't know. God, that we would be partners with you in carrying your goodness into their lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you guys.